Mama just cursed a man, waved my wand up at his head, said some words, and then he bled. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for Bohemians. Sectum Sempra! bellowed Harry from the floor, waving his wand wildly. Blood spurted from Malfoy's face and chest, as though he had been slashed with an invisible sword. He staggered backward and collapsed onto the waterlogged floor with a great splash, his wand falling from his limp right hand. No, gasped Harry. No, I didn't. Murder! Murder in the bathroom! Murder! I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And we're fulfilling the wishes that very, very few of you expressed that we sing more. Apologies to Freddie Mercury. <laughs> and Rami Malik, I guess. Yeah. No, no apologies to that movie. <laughs> Hi, here we are. We are reading Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, of course. And this week our chapters are called, oh, they're such good ones. They're called Horcruxes and Septumsempra. On this podcast, you will hear cursing. We will spoil shit amply. You might hear teeth chattering. Oh, our heat is out and it's winter in New York City. It's like 25 degrees outside. I don't know what the fuck our landlord is thinking, but this is unacceptable. We are recording. I am in a huge sweater and hat and draped in a blanket like a 19th century invalid. (laughs) I've got my pajamas on. Warm PJs, though. Warm PJs. It's freezing. So... So if you hear us, I don't know, shivering. I don't know how you hear shivering, but that's why. <laughs> that's how you hear it. Exactly. You will also hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are repressed memories, requited love, three-peats, excessive bleeding, and soul-crushing work. So Alex, on this cold and lonely winter night it's not lonely we're here together yeah with all our best pals all our friends uh what happened this week well in this week's chapters harry returns to the castle after getting the memory from slughorn it's gonna be kind of weird for slughorn when he wakes up in hagrid's cabin right like they're just gonna wake up hungover as fuck and be like what happened last night (laughs) <laughs> and then he's going to find the vial of acromantula venom <laughs> and be like, oh, I went to a spider wake. But anyway, that's completely immaterial to these uh, these chapters, except they're just going to have like intense hangovers. Harry learns from Sir Nicholas that Dumbledore has just returned from wherever the fuck Dumbledore goes. So Harry heads straight to Dumbledore's office, says the password, and Dumbledore is there. He is fucking stoked that Harry retrieved the memory from Slughorn. So they just literally dive straight into it. Harry and Dumbledore find themselves back inside Slughorn's memory all those many years ago at their his little weird slug club after-hours soiree. But in this version of the memory, Slughorn explains to young Lovo what exactly Horcruxes are. Can I tell you something? What? Young Lovo would be his rap name. (laughs) Y-U-N-G. Be very good. It should be somebody's rap name. Some Potter rock, but with young Lovo. Yeah, young Lovo. Anyway, you've got that for free. (laughs) So, Horcruxes are dark magic where a wizard splits their soul and hides a piece of it inside an object that gives you the ability to attain not immortality per se, but... It is immortality. A kind of immortality. It's like as close as you can get, right? But you can still like die if your other Horcrux is destroyed. But if you have a Horcrux and your mortal body perishes, you can still kind of cling to this mortal plane. But you've mangled your soul in the process, which is not good. Death would be preferable, says Slughorn. Tom, obviously very intrigued, asks Slughorn, Professor, how does a person split their soul? And Slughorn says, by doing the supreme act of evil, by committing straight-up murder. 
Tom then asks if it would be better to have more than one Horcrux, you know, like have some spares in case your Horcrux get des gets destroyed. Uh, wouldn't seven, the most powerfully magical number, be the best number of Horcruxes? This totally scandalizes Slughorn. He says it's bad enough to split your soul once. Why would anyone ever try to do this seven times? Also, don't talk about this to anyone, because Horcruxes are banned subject at Hogwarts, and Dumbledore is particularly fierce about it, so what happens in Slug Club stays in Slug Club or whatever. End scene. Dumbledore and Harry are back in his office. Dumbledore says he's been waiting for this piece of evidence for a long time. We can now absolutely confirm that when Tom Riddle was 16, he was doing everything he could to make himself immortal. Dumbledore says that he knew Tom Riddle had made at least one Horcrux because the diary that Harry destroyed in his second year was a Horcrux, but he thought it was really suspicious that Lovo would create something that was clearly meant to be read and returned to the school in order to open the Chamber of Secrets. So he always suspected that there was more than one Horcrux. Now he is pretty sure, based on this memory, that Voldemort tried to create seven. So Dumbledore has destroyed another Horcrux, Marvologant's ring. That's how his hand got all fucked up. So destroying these things is no joke. The other Horcruxes Dumbledore theorizes will hold similar significance to the ring and the diary. Probably Slytherin's locket and Hufflebuff's cup have been turned into Horcruxes. Dumbledore also thinks that his snake Nagini was made into a Horcrux when Voldemort killed Frank Bryce. Also, the night Voldemort went to try to kill Harry Potter, he was probably going to try to make a Horcrux using Harry's death, because that would have been his crowning achievement, killing the boy in this prophecy. There's some more Horcrux science. It's not clear if Voldemort can feel when his Horcruxes are destroyed. He found out from Lucius that the diary was destroyed at Hogwarts, and he got super fucking pissed. So the upshot of all this is destroy the Horcruxes, and you have a chance to destroy Voldemort. Although, Dumbledore says it's still gonna be a bitch to kill him because he's a super good wizard. But, Harry, he says, you have one advantage. But, 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 motherfucking. Harry jumps in and says, yeah, I know, motherfucking love. I have the power of love. Some good that's going to do me. Harry's extremely unimpressed. Dumbledore says, you don't get it, man. Like, love? I, I, he launches into a whole explanation about how Trelawney's prophecy was self-fulfilling and it only became true because Voldemort chose to act on it and that like created Harry who now can choose his own destiny or some magical metaphysical thing. That's a terrible description of that but that's basically what he says right? What he says doesn't make much sense. <laughs> Harry's like I have a hard time following all this and the reader is also like us too. But, you know, he's Dumbledore, so he has a plan. Also, Harry's capacity for love has protected him from the temptations of the dark side. So Voldemort is underestimating the power of a soul that is, like, whole and intact. Also, Dumbledore says you have to kill Voldemort, not because of the prophecy, but because you really want to. And Harry's like, yeah, I super want to. So Harry sees that as better than being involuntarily dragged into this struggle. So this has all just been an elaborate effort at reframing on Dumbledore's part, I guess. Later on, Harry fills in Ron and Hermione about everything that happened. We also learned that Ron and Lavender broke up, as well as Jean and Dinny. <laughs> Jean and Dinny, no. Uh, <laughs> as well as Jean and Din. <laughs> Why can't I say Dean and Ginny? As well as Jean and Dinny. <laughs> that beloved Harry Potter couple, Jean and Dinny. Uh... So I'm, I've cursed myself. I'm not going to be able to say either of their names the rest of this episode. It feels like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Harry wonders to himself. So Harry is elated at the news about Jean and Dinny <laughs> and wonders. Did you do it on purpose? I did it on purpose that oh, time. Okay. <laughs> and wonders... 
if this is his big chance to get with <laughs> to Denny. get with Denny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no one's gonna find this funny except Harry for us. Harry and Denny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, we also I'm learned crying. that. Crying. It- <laughs> <laughs> this is not funny, but I'm crying. You can call me whatever you want, but just don't call me late for Denny. <laughs> Incidentally, we also... <laughs> you think that's really funny. I just think Gene and Denny is really funny for some reason. Okay, I'm done. Whew, go on. Incidentally, we also learned that it takes six months to make Felix Felices, so that's why you can't just crank this shit out. And Katie Bell is back, so... Most of the Quidditch team is back together. Practices are going great. Harry starts to believe that winning the Quidditch Cup will provide the magic moment that will allow him to finally hook up with <laughs> Gene and or Dinny. Um, no, he doesn't want to hook up with Gene. With Dinny. No, Ginny. That's the sound of a thousand one-star reviews. <laughs> One day, (laughs) this isn't funny. (laughs) So amid, amidst all of this drama, Harry is continuing to spy on Draco Malfoy via the Marauders map. Mako Dralfoy. Mako Dralfoy. Just Harry Potter spoonerisms is we should do a whole episode of one. Um, I used to love Spoonerisms. I just thought they were hilarious. They are. <laughs> Apparently, I think they're very funny. <laughs> Mayfo Dralcoy is. <laughs> Mayfo Dralcoy. Perry Chotter and the Saber of Cheekrits. Mayfo Dralcoy is not a funny one. That's no. not even Mayfo how you Dralfoy. do it. Yeah, I guess that's not how you do it. Mayfo Dralcoy. Oh, no. No, you could do Mako Dralfoy as a spoonerism. No, I said Mako Dralcoy. Oh, no, that's not how you do it <laughs> at all. It's just mess. <laughs> I'm not drunk or anything. Vold Lordemort. Harry's still spying on yes. Mako. And who is vanishing into the room of requirement... But one day, Harry spies a little silhouetto of a man who's talking (laughs) with Moaning Myrtle in the bathroom. Harry goes and tries to listen in. He hears Draco crying. He says he can't do it. I can't do it. But if I don't, then he'll kill me. Draco then sees Harry in the mirror. They duel. Draco attempts to use the Cruciatus curse on Harry, but before he is able to, Harry casts Sectum Sempra, which he saw in the Half-Blood Prince textbook, and frankly, it's a bloody mess. Draco stumbles back as if he's been slashed by a sword. He's bleeding everywhere. Harry's like, life had just begun, but now I've gone and thrown it all away. Snape bursts in and heals Draco using a magical incantation that almost sounds like he's singing. Snape is understandably furious. He asks Harry where he learned such dark magic. Harry says, I don't know. I'm just a poor boy from a poor family. Harry lies and says that he learned Sectum Sempra in a library book. Snape demands to see his school books, so Harry runs back to Gryffindor Tower and quickly swaps potion books with Ron. He then hides his own Half-Blood Prince potion book inside the Room of Requirement, which transforms into a massive cathedral filled with stuff that's been, like, hidden and stashed away by students and faculty over the years. Snape is unimpressed and gives Harry detention for the rest of the year, forcing him to miss the final Quidditch game. Hermione engages in a bit of I told you so, but Ginny defends Harry and is surprisingly not super pissed at him that he's going to miss the Quidditch match. So that lightens his mood a little bit. For detention, Harry is forced to refile old disciplinary reports, many of them involving his dad and Sirius. And meanwhile, Ginny plays seeker for the Quidditch team against Cho. So girlfriend battle. Yeah. Harry returns to Gryffindor Tower after a very long detention, and it turns out that 
ba 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 Gryffindor's won the motherfucking Quidditch Cup for the third time in a row. And Ginny runs up to Harry, throws her arms around him, and without thinking, he kisses her. And everyone is like, damn! Dean, or Jean, as it were, shatters a glass in his hand. Ron is stunned, but is surprisingly cool about it. And Harry gestures toward the portrait hole, and they go take a walk around the grounds to uh, discuss the match or something. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. One thing that's really unclear to me in this first chapter is why Dumbledore needed this memory so badly. He seems to know everything that's in it already, and he's already finding and destroying Horcruxes. So why was he so desperate to basically just confirm what he already knew and was already doing? Especially because in the original memory... The key word is there. Voldemort asks how to make Horcruxes. So Dumbledore knew that Voldemort was trying to make Horcruxes. He's found at least two Horcruxes. I guess it's really important to get the number of Horcruxes, but we have no idea if he ever got to that point. Yeah. I guess it's the number of Horcruxes. I think it's that's the, the number. Critical, that's the critical point. But Dumbledore already knows that Tom is obsessed with the number seven. I feel like... Does he? Yeah. Or is it just a guess? I mean, it's just a guess. Yeah. But because this seven's is just like super a guess. Powerful. This is just a guess. Yeah. He doesn't know. He knows that Tom came up with the idea of seven Horcruxes. He doesn't know if there are seven. Does it feel like he's gotten any actually new information out of this? I I don't know. I don't think so. It feels like the kind of MacGuffin that has zero payoff. <laughs> It's just you watch this memory and Dumbledore is like, yeah, so this is what I've been doing all this time. And Harry's like, okay, why did I have to use half of my get Ginny juice <laughs> to fucking find out what you already knew, bro? Hey, the get Ginny juice actually succeeded because he bumped her by accident and she thought it was uh, Dean. Oh, that's right. When he was right. under the invisibility cloak. Yes, yeah, that's I right. I just remembered that. So And that it was did like work. the breaking point. For Ginny and Dean. Mm-hmm. For Dinny and Jean. Yeah, so that... You're right. He but did get lucky. He did get lucky, but it wasn't something where that was the only thing that happened and it broke them up out of nowhere. She was sick of him. Yeah, I know. Fair enough. But still, so, Felix played a role. Oh, Felix indeed did. But the whole thing with Slughorn seems pointless. Mostly. <sighs> Yeah, I, or at least Dumbledore way overplayed the level of importance. I think so, especially because Dumbledore's already out hunting Horcruxes. He didn't need to know this. Is this just another case of Dumbledore testing Harry to see if he's up to the challenges that lay ahead? Slash how loyal he is. Right. This the, feels like a loyalty test. Yeah, I, I, I'm not wild about this Dumbledore plan. No, I don't think he put Harry up to a task that was nearly as important as he underscored, which is very Boy Who Cried Wolf to me because he's about to put Harry up to a truly bananas task. And I feel like, yeah, he was just testing him to see, like, can I basically get him to do whatever I need him to do, kind of no matter what, and impress upon him importance without him really using any critical thinking to ask me why. Which the answer is yes. Yeah. This whole scene, including their nearly incomprehensible conversation about does the prophecy matter? Doesn't the prophecy matter? Is the whole deal with the prophecy that Harry has to fulfill it because tautologically Harry has to fulfill it. What the fuck does the prophecy mean? It's all really manipulative. I don't really get this conversation or what Dumbledore is trying to impress on Harry. I had a hard time following it because he basically says the prophecy does and doesn't matter because you want to do this thing anyway. Although Dumbledore has spent the last year trying to indoctrinate Harry to prepare him to kill Voldemort. This is more indoctrination. Sir, said Harry, making valiant efforts not to sound argumentative. It all comes to the same thing, doesn't it? I've got to try and kill him or... Got to, said Dumbledore. Of course you've got to, but not because of the prophecy. Because you yourself will never rest until you've tried. We both know it. 
Imagine, please, just for a moment, that you had never heard that prophecy. How would you feel about Voldemort now? Think. Harry watched Dumbledore striding up and down in front of him and thought. He thought of his mother, his father, and Sirius. He thought of Cedric Diggory. He thought of all the terrible deeds he knew Lord Voldemort had done. A flame seemed to leap inside his chest, searing his throat. I'd want him finished, said Harry quietly, and I'd want to do it. Of course you would, cried Dumbledore. You see, the prophecy does not mean you have to do anything. This yeah. is massively manipulative because now what he's planting in Harry's head is that this is Harry's choice and that Harry is making this choice. He says to Harry, you have to kill him because you desperately want to kill him, which is so manipulative. Well, I mean, Harry agrees with that in his head. Yeah, but Harry's a kid. He's 16 at this point. Dumbledore is doing more psychological manipulation of Harry here. Dumbledore is accentuating in Harry's mind the feeling of inevitability that has been building up in his teenage brain. Right. Teenagers also don't know that they can die. Well, teenage Voldemort did. Teenage Lo- And decided teenage- to yeah. take Teenage every- Voldemort decided that he shouldn't die, but teenagers literally know that they can die. But right. you know, yeah. Harry has created in a very typical adolescent mind this sort of hero narrative that he has to be the one to kill Lord Voldemort and Dumbledore is very selfishly confirming that which isn't true Dumbledore could fucking kill Lord Voldemort I mean he's sure not gonna but this is more of preparing Harry for the slaughter but I guess Dumbledore dismisses the prophecy as being the final verdict but he also doesn't underestimate its power. So I can't figure out what Dumbledore thinks about the prophecy ultimately, because he clearly sees Harry Potter as the Wizarding World's best chance of destroying Voldemort because they have this prophetic connection. So Dumbledore doesn't take the prophecy too seriously, but he also doesn't want to underestimate that there are some kind of forces at work here that he doesn't understand very well? No. You don't think so? I think the forces at work are Dumbledore. Dumbledore picked Harry. Well, why would he pick just a kid to because do this? Because the, pro- like, the prophecy picked Harry, Voldemort picked Harry, and then Dumbledore was like, okay, well, now we've got our guy. And he used the prophecy to manipulate Harry to convince him that he was the chosen one. And now he's using the prophecy to further manipulate Harry by convincing him that it's his choice to fulfill it. But he's also basically saying, like, you have foreclosed on all of their choices by the, like, very strong will you have to do this. I think this is top to bottom manipulation by Dumbledore. It's pretty fucked up to see a grown man, if you really step back and look at it, to see a grown man trying to, like, psych up a 16-year-old to commit an assassination. Yeah. and Out of context. I mean, in the context of the book and the hero's journey... It seems logical. But but even in the context of this book, because think about it. Yes, I think Dumbledore is right that the prophecy was self-fulfilling for Voldemort, that he took it seriously and marked Harry from Harry's babyhood. But then Dumbledore turned around and from that moment indoctrinated Harry very, very, very slowly into the belief that his only choice in life was to be the person that killed Lord Voldemort. Dumbledore is the one that has been bringing Harry up to be the chosen one. He has been very, very slowly grooming this boy. And I think revealing the prophecy to him was very calculated and manipulative because it first planted the seed that, oh, there's this epic, inevitable battle. And then he sort of psychs him out in a different way by saying, but ultimately it's your choice. But he knows that Harry is too far gone to make a different choice. But he's too far gone because of Dumbledore. I think over Harry the next... Harry had other options. I think over the next year, especially as we get into the Deathly Hallows, we'll be discussing whether a lot, whether Dumbledore's ethically gray decision-making can be justified because it's in the service of, I think, what we can all agree is the greater good, the quote-unquote greater good. I don't think Dumbledore is evil, but I think he has spent 
the better part of 16 years carefully grooming a boy to die, which is ethically complicated, you know? But that's not great. If Harry doesn't put his life on the line, then a lot more people die. I mean, yeah, that's why I'm saying I don't think he's evil, but I don't think that we can. He's not a sweet, grandfatherly, beloved and loving figure in Harry's life. He's his death sentence. Yeah. He thinks. He believes Harry's going to die. Right. He doesn't actually know this whole bullshit with the Elder Wand. And first of all, too many fucking MacGuffins. (laughs) We are after too many things at once. And it's so confusing because it was the prophecy and now it's not the prophecy. And it was the memory and the memory is useless. And then it's the Horcruxes. But like ultimately after the Horcruxes, it's the fucking Hallows. And it's like, what, which is it? This is too many things. (laughs) It's like she read the Lord of the Rings. And and was like all of it. She's thinking... There needs to be like 27 more rings in this book. (laughs) There need to be rings with lots of other mechanisms and you have to find all of it and none of it is related except all of it, all of it culminates in this totally inexplicable final set of scenes. I guess there's a lot of rings in Lord of the Rings, but there's only one that really matters. Well, I don't really know. It's not really Lord of the Rings podcast. The Horcruxes like matter, but the... Hallows, like, also matter. It would be great if Tom Riddle had read Lord of the Rings and was thinking, I see where Sauron went wrong here. Should have made way more rings. Way more fucking rings, Sauron. (laughs) Good lord. Anyway, I mean, that's hard on Dumbledore, but I, I don't think that Dumbledore is the bad guy in the wider world. I think Dumbledore is a force of destruction in Harry's individual life. So... Does his individual life matter more than the future of the wizarding world? Like, no, probably not. It's some trolley problem shit. But Dumbledore managed to develop a really close relationship with a child who he has decided has to die. Until now, Harry thought his biggest trolley problem was whether to pick cauldron cakes or every flavor. (laughs) Jesus. Indeed. I also don't really understand what Dumbledore says when he tells Harry that he's got more power than Voldemort because and Harry's unimpressed too. Harry's just, so how, sick of this how power. How far of love could this shit. love thing go? But I mean, at certain points in this chapter, it feels like Dumbledore's just kind of dropping a word salad on him. It's that ends with like the power of love. I don't know. I do it you think really it, is that is, bad writing or is it like Dumbledore characterization? I think it's bad writing because I think she's actually in this moment trying to get across something really profound about Harry's sort of truth and destiny. Like fate and agency. But Dumbledore just sounds high. (laughs) It's like, you don't get it, man. These couple of pages are truly almost incomprehensible. Like I read them a few times and I was just thinking, I don't know what he's trying to say here. It is very unclear what any of this means at all. So maybe one of you can explain it to us better, but I I thought it was very poorly written. Because it's also... I liked the chapter, you know, and I think... The Horcrux stuff is great. I like the chapter a lot, but this conversation, I was just perplexed. <laughs> Dumbledore's getting progressively more impatient with Harry that he can't... He's like, it's love, it's love, and it's like... <laughs> I don't understand what you're saying right now. What's love? I, I guess that's because love is mysterious and and powerful. I also right? think she's just trying to get like nine points across at once. Yeah. It's about fate and free will and destiny and love and what's powerful and mortality. And it's just too much. Maybe I'm starting to, maybe it's just because I'm taking these Two chapters at a time, but the love thing is it's starting to feel a little a little overplayed. It's grating, for you, sure. You know? I'm feeling, I feel increasingly like Harry in that I, I'm very <laughs> irritated by it. It is funny, though, that Harry... Oh, I is, think that's a great character point, that Harry's is like... Is visibly unimpressed. Yeah, love, okay, buddy, what? <laughs> I don't think that's all the way true. Like, am I going to hug Voldemort and he's going to melt? What's What do you want me to do, man? I need I some mean, weapons. I mean, he did sort of hug Voldemort and he melted. Oh, yeah, he totally did. So, so that's never mind, real. that worked. That totally worked. Uh, he can't lay hands on Voldemort. Although I don't <laughs> think that's true anymore. Voldemort can't possess him, but he can yeah. touch him. Okay, anyway. He can't possess him because Harry's 
pure of heart or whatever. Well, until now, <laughs> but we'll get there. Well, yeah, we will get there. So, so Horcruxes, how do they work? Well, you split your soul, you see, said Slughorn, and hide part of it in an object outside the body. Then, even if one's body is attacked or destroyed, one cannot die, for part of the soul remains earthbound and undamaged. But of course, existence in such a form... Slughorn's face crumpled, and Harry found himself remembering words he had heard nearly two years before. I was ripped from my body. I was less than spirit, less than the meanest ghost, but still I was alive. Few would want it, Tom, very few. Death would be preferable. But Riddle's hunger was now apparent. His expression was greedy. He could no longer hide his longing. How do you split your soul? Well, said Slughorn uncomfortably, you must understand that the soul is supposed to remain intact and whole. Splitting it is an act of violation. It is against nature. But how do you do it? By an act of evil. The supreme act of evil. By committing murder. I like that the metaphysics are a little unclear and that the Horcrux creation can only happen off stage because it's supposed to be so profoundly fucked up that I think trying to describe it in too much detail would sort of ruin the effect. But I do wonder, what does this even look like <laughs> when Voldemort commits one of these murders and then has this, like, where is this piece of soul? And how do you, like, harness it and then stash it away? Slughorn says there's a spell, but... It's kind of funny to imagine. Just is it just this little like spirit fragment that's floating around that you gotta like snatch and like shove in the cup? Yeah, I also wonder: can you store the soul piece and put it in the object later, or do you have to have the object with you? So is he just clanking around with a bunch of precious just Hogwarts a- <laughs> heirlooms and like a gym bag, being like, "Okay, these are my this is my soul stash." So every time I do a murder, I think the idea that killing someone, murdering someone, because I don't think this happens. First of all, a question I have is, is this an automatic thing? Is rending your soul in pieces something that happens every time you kill? But pin in that, I do think kind of cold-blooded murder, shredding up a person's soul is pretty powerful as a concept. And it is one of those pieces of magic that J.K. Rowling does really well. Right. Which is tying the idea of an incantation or something to a profound emotional experience. And magic has to be tied to something real inside of us she does that nicely I mean that's how I feel about the Patronus for example having to draw on something deep within you which in this case is the ability to kill another human being in cold blood it's good it's conceptually really good but if Harry kills Voldemort does his soul rip yeah that's what I wonder because murder Slughorn says is the supreme act of evil is Harry murdering Voldemort a an act of evil? Well, does Harry murder well, Voldemort? Well, no. I mean, Harry gets away with a weird technicality in book seven, and he doesn't actually have to do the act. But it seems like Dumbledore and Harry, their original game plan is you will kill Voldemort. But so... isn't that more of an act of war? Yeah. I so mean, I, maybe yeah, I don't it separates what... out the way we separate out legal definitions it's but it's something inherent it's not legalistic though it's something like inherent to like the laws of like magic i mean it might be the intent yeah that's what i would say it's probably a a thing of what you intend to do maybe you have to intend to split your soul that's a wild thing for a human being to intend to do so maybe that makes the magic powerful you're like i'm fine 
committing this act of evil because I actively want. Oh, so it's not just a knock-on effect of committing murder. You have to murder with the intention of ripping your soul, which makes the murder even more... Murdery. Murdery. Yeah. yeah. So when Bellatrix kills Sirius, she didn't necessarily make rip a her soul. No. No, I mean, you'd have to do... There's like extra steps to making a Horcrux, but is there just soul damage in general? I think probably there's soul damage. I yeah. mean, I bet Bellatrix did something nasty to her soul when she killed Sirius. Yeah. yeah. Because that, it seems, in this conception, it seems like the definition of murder predicates this something bad happening to your soul. Because Dumbledore's whole thing is Harry's soul is intact mm-hmm. and whole and the power of love or whatever. So whether or not you intend to make a horcrux, I think that act of evil damages your soul. I also am curious what a soul is. Right. In the wizard- Is there something physical in these horcruxes? Is it a piece of spirit? Is it an animating magic of some sort? Yeah. How do you like it as a plot device? The horcruxes? Yeah. Well, like I said, I think they're actually very interesting. I think this is cool. I'm annoyed that then we have to add this whole other layer of hallows and I just think there's beginning to be too much going on because it's it's irritating to have her have these big important quests and then just drop it. It's annoying to me that the prophecy doesn't actually matter, for example, because Sirius died for that. Yeah. If I were Harry, I'd be pissed. I'd be like, what do you mean this doesn't matter? This is like my person in the world gave his life for this thing. It should matter. And the Horcruxes are, they matter, but independently of all the other plot problems here, I think the Horcruxes are cool. What about you? Yeah, I like it. I like the idea of Voldemort kind of mangling this important part of himself because he just disregards it in order to attain this kind of almost immortality, but not really. Like, is it worth hanging around for? I I, I think that's a cool... It says a a lot about his character Mm -hmm. in a way that's... It's very... It's a really compact and useful way to talk about the kind of being even that Voldemort is. Even Slughorn, who is a pretty selfish motherfucker, is, uh, says, this is terrible. Like, it'd be better to die than to live like this. It's also <laughs> it's also kind of speaks to Voldemort's weird materialism because he's basically saying, you can take it with you by <laughs> putting yourself inside of it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> All he- my treasures... Have me in them. Yeah. <laughs> I will not go to heaven, but I will go inside my antiques. <laughs> so speaking of Slughorn, I do think we should talk a bit about his complicity in this ultimate plot of Voldemort's. Yeah, I think Slughorn is obviously correct to be ashamed of this memory. And he should have been doing everything he could from Basically, the day Voldemort came out as Mr. Dark Lord, I want to take over the world to help Dumbledore in his quest against him. Why he held on to this thing for so long. I understand why, because it shows he was tight with Tom Riddle. Yeah, which but... Which is, like, really shameful. We just had an episode where we talked about how Slughorn is ultimately selfish, but a pretty cool dude, and clutch in an emergency and then you get to this chapter and the fact that he didn't immediately tell someone hey this already pretty powerful pretty eerie kid is asking me how many murders it's possible to commit in order to put your soul in seven gold things uh we should keep an eye on that i mean it seems like he's a little afraid of tom as he should be But that's very cowardly. Yeah. Well, I mean, Slughorn's not a brave person. No, he's not. And and his selfishness, knowing for more than a decade that this is probably something Voldemort did and telling no one is almost evil. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's almost evil in its selfishness. That's inexcusable. It truly is inexcusable. Just because he doesn't want to ruin his reputation, basically. Right. It's pathetic. That's that's why I imagine he's keeping it a secret. Yeah, I think it's deeply pathetic. And he bears a lot. I mean, he doesn't bear a lot of blame in 
how in Voldemort ending up doing this because he would find out some way. It's not Slughorn's fault that Voldemort knew how to make a Horcrux. I don't blame him for that. Right. But I blame him for knowing that the Dark Lord was into Horcruxes and not telling anyone, hey, by the way, he might have made a bunch of these things. There's a couple interesting snatches besides the Horcruxes that we get in the Untampered with Memory, like the part where he tells him that he could become Minister of Magic one day. That wasn't in the original memory. So no. I thought- well, because in the, in the Tampered Memory, he says you'll come to a bad end. Right. And it is interesting. He's showering him with praise in the original memory. And it's interesting because it does show that Slughorn is totally morally agnostic. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't care if Tom is a good or a bad person. He can tell that Tom is a powerful person. Right. And he's like, you're going to continue to amass power. And he has zero interest in the fact that Tom is a monstrous human being. And he must know that. Yeah, he clearly understands the difference between good and evil. He's pretty amoral, but he's not completely amoral. Well, he's not He's evil. not completely amoral, but I don't think... He doesn't have... He doesn't have, like, a big enough moral imagination to imagine what somebody who's kind of like him, but a little worse, is capable of, you know? Like, Slughorn wants to amass, like, worldly power and influence just for its own sake but you know Voldemort has like a truly fucked up agenda so yeah uh, he doesn't see where because he tells Voldemort he says it's natural like it's natural for wizards of a certain caliber to like be curious about this thing but he's weirdly naive that a wizard wouldn't of a certain caliber wouldn't like follow through on that well because he thinks people want the kind of life that he has he thinks that Tom Riddle wants to be reasonably powerful but ultimately pretty comfortable and well-liked and respected yeah he thinks that that's kind of the height of power is to be able to influence people but ultimately basically to be able to get people to bring you gifts and do your favor do your favors get a shit ton of crystallized pineapple so he's both not evil enough but also not smart enough to have Voldemort pegged the way like Dumbledore does. Right. He even, you know, he even says this pretty wild thing in context. He's like, I've never been wrong about a student yet. And it's like, oh boy, did you pick a bad moment to be wrong, buddy. <laughs> wow, your one incorrection or your one incorrect moment was a doozy. Also, that whole party is future Death Eaters. Well, yeah. And Slughorn. But I guess he's the Slytherin head of house, so. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. It's fascinating that he doesn't become a Death Eater. I think we could spend a really long time on that, but I think Slughorn is is a great character because here we have true, interestingly written moral ambiguity. Right. We have that in Dumbledore too, but everybody wants to believe Dumbledore is good. Yeah. And Slughorn doesn't really have the trappings of the good guy, so we get to delve into his moral relativism, basically. Do you think... Tom likes Slughorn. No, I don't think Tom likes anyone. Yeah. Do you? I think he likes Slughorn as much as he can like anybody, because this is a serious question he has. He wants to know, like, what'll happen to him, and he, like, kind of trusts him, and... I mean, maybe not. I think he knows that Slughorn is the most likely to have a center of a Venn diagram that is, knows a sort of startling amount about the dark arts and won't tell anyone. Because there's probably other Hogwarts teachers who we could ask this question. But Slughorn, I think he's just manipulating. It's not because he's vulnerable. It's because he knows that Slughorn won't give him away. No, I mean, all right. I just I don't think he likes there. anyone. No. Except- I actually think he has deep contempt for Slughorn. Mm-hmm. Also because like the entire Harry Potter universe seems basically predicated on having contempt for fat people. <laughs> so... Uh, Slughorn does sell out the Wizarding World for candy, so... So, anti-fatness, hell yeah. That is the one thing that this entire moral universe sits on. If Slughorn hadn't been such a chonker, everyone would be alive. Yep. Let's cut to the chase (laughs) with Sectum Sempra. Pretty shocking moment. Really great moment. We were just complaining about bad writing, but this is extremely vivid and exciting and horrifying and intense. Should have stuck with Expelliarmus, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> you branched out too far, buddy. 
It's funny that just a scene ago, we had Dumbledore being all, you've never been tempted by dark magic. And Harry's like, LOL, okay. I guess in Harry's defense, he doesn't actually know that it's dark magic. he doesn't know what it does. I'm mostly kidding. But But it is dark magic. Harry didn't super use context clues from the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, this is not playtested. Hermione warns him that the prince is a little dodgy. Yeah, and it doesn't say when you want to... It's not a tickling charm, man, when it says for enemies. Right, and the notation isn't for friends who piss you off. It's for enemies, which is such a weird thing for a kid to say, first of all. I can't believe... Yeah, very dramatic. I can't believe he was thinking of testing this on Cormac McClaggan. I know. Can you imagine... I mean, it's bad enough that he does it to Draco. Draco at least a little bit deserves it. Right, yeah. Draco. Cormac a little bit deserves to it. To be machete attacked, no, basically? No, I'm kidding. Nobody deserves this. Draco is about to use the Cruciatus curse. So Draco actually does a little bit deserve yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a self-defense aspect to this. But I, once again, wonder, with something this malicious... How can Harry just cast this willy-nilly? He doesn't know what he does, and you'd think it would require seriously bad intent, although maybe Harry does in this moment because he's filled with hatred for Draco. Yeah, it does seem like one of the unforgivable curses in that you would need to really mean it, and just sort of metaphysically he can't really mean it because he doesn't know what it does so he doesn't mean to do anything it's possible that he tapped into something seriously dark in the heat of the moment that allowed him to cast the spell which is an idea that appeals to me because because harry has this moment of holy shit i just went way too far no 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 like please let me take this back somehow how could i make this have not happened which obviously this is a really extreme example but that's such a teenage moment right. and it's such a valuable learning experience i mean again this is a horrible way for harry and draco frankly to have this learning experience but oh god i would do anything to be able to take back what i just did is just such a 16 year old feeling and harry's not gonna do this shit again i mean harry is gonna learn from this experience and he also interestingly learns that he doesn't actually hope that he could he doesn't want to kill draco malfoy Right. You know, he has this visceral reaction of undo it, undo it, undo it. He doesn't want to, in cold blood, murder this other kid. Yeah. Even though he feels murderously toward him. I love this scene for all the reasons you just said. I think this is one of my favorite little moments in Harry Potter. You know, though, there have been various moments in these books where people have been unreasonably mistrustful of Harry. And this is a really good reason for people to think Harry is a deeply disturbed and fucked up person. (laughs) And everybody's like, oh, you macheted Malfoy? Oh, chill. Anyway, wish you hadn't gotten detention. Nobody's like, oh my God, are you psycho? (laughs) How are you still allowed to go to this school? Yes, absolutely he should have been expelled. It is wild that he gets detention. I mean, it's wartime. There's like extenuating circumstances. Draco tried to cast an unforgivable curse, which... Do you think Snape believes that? Of course he does. You could priori incantatum the wand. Yeah, but he didn't actually cast the spell. Oh. So it's Harry's word against Draco's. You're right. So Snape actually probably totally believes him, but he could easily feign disbelief. Well, Snape also is just kind of pissed at Harry because he's been trying to protect Draco and yeah Harry's like just fucking this up by having no chill but it's just hilarious that there's this entire book in Chamber of Secrets where with absolutely zero evidence everyone's like Harry's a murderer and then Harry straight up tries to murder someone (laughs) it would be more like an involuntary manslaughter he's just trying to I mean... He's just trying to fuck up Draco's shit. He's not trying to kill him. But, well... It would be like second-degree murder. This is something a lawyer could tell us because he can't prove that. He used this spell. It's... There's no proof that he didn't know what it did. Hmm. Could... I bet a really good... There's no good wizarding lawyers. (laughs) But I I bet a really good wizarding prosecutor... That's the character we need is the good wizarding lawyer... But Dumbledore just moonlights as one. (laughs) 
and he's not bad. But don't you think a really good prosecutor could completely machete that defense? <laughs> yeah. The description of the blood like blooming on top of the water that has flooded this bathroom and Myrtle's piercing shrieks of murder and Malfoy's chalk white face covered in blood it's so good this is just exciting and shocking it's a nice parallel to draco stamping on harry's face at the beginning of the book just the level of intensity ratcheted right up uh there's bad blood between them <laughs> there's uh, a lot of blood seriously between them. bad blood between them this seems like a worse way to die than avada kedavra by a long shot yeah draco's going into shock on the bathroom floor he's shaking he's convulsing this seems almost way more unforgivable oh yeah casting a dot it's avada wild kedavra. that snape invented this yeah what does this tell us about snape's personality this is deaths of dark so this tells us this tells us regardless of whether he's a real death eater snape is a dark wizard yeah only a dark wizard invents this spell it doesn't matter i mean you know what i mean his whole fucking deal of oh i'm a double agent but since he was a young person his magic has been dark magic it also begs the question who has he used this on yeah word because it's clearly very hard to reverse well, I mean, I guess that's why it's not as bad as Avada Kedavra because it is reversible and because in the Wizarding World, we can bring people back from almost anything. He, you know, he's like, if you take some Dittany, you might not even have scarring, you know, and they can, they have blood replenishment charms. So you're not nearly as likely to die of this in the Wizarding World yeah, as yeah. you would be in the Muggle World. But still, fucking Snape, what was this for? Yeah, who has he used it on? That's my I, question. He's clearly used it. Yeah, I have no idea. Because he know, he he he's super familiar with it right away. Mm-hmm. And it's in his fucking book. But, he, you know, he, he knows immediately what the spell was. Yeah. So you'd think he would have used it on James Potter or Sirius Black. Maybe he did. We don't know. I highly doubt it. Yeah, we that would have, have been seen become, that memory. That would have become part of the Marauder's lore. lore. Yeah, that's true. Maybe he used it in service of Lord Voldemort. I mean, Maybe that's he's right. like that's used the, it on other Death Eaters. That's the first thing I thought of. No, he, used it against non-Death Eaters while working for Voldemort. He was a de- he was a full on Death all Eater the way for Death a while. Eater. Yeah, that's true. Before he kind of came around again, but I just I mean, it says it says fucked up things about Snape. I just don't buy that Snape is even if he's on Dumbledore's side. He's not on the side of good. He's on Dumbledore's side. Mm, well, we'll talk about We'll that. talk lots about this. Obviously. But this says to me, I mean, whatever. I guess we can't hold him entirely accountable for something he came up with as a teenager because we all did some dumb shit as teenagers. But he's a dark wizard. It's a really interesting connection between Harry and Snape in this book because he thinks he doesn't, even after this horrible event, which is like really shakes him, he still doesn't want to get rid of the prince because he now considers the prince as this guide and friend. And obviously we know that it's Snape. It is another one of these wonderful kind of intertextual relationships in Harry Potter and the use of a text to sort of stand in for a companion and the ways in which that can become sinister. It sort of mirrors the diary, I would say. Yeah, yeah, a lot. And I mean, it's the, the comparison is drawn explicitly in the book. Yeah, by that's Ginny. true. Jenny's like, uh, don't listen to that thing. And Harry's like, no, it's totally different. He just taught me how to machete Draco Malfoy. It's cool. <laughs> it's super chill. Don't worry. So chill. The outcome here is that Harry doesn't get to play Quidditch, which, spoiler alert, doesn't matter at all because Harry Potter, as it turns out, is massively overrated as a Quidditch player. Yeah, or at least relative to Ginny. So the last three Quidditch Cups, Gryffindor is one. Harry was only seeker for the final game in one of them. Yeah, Ginny is the actual king. Yeah, she she's Ginny's the king or queen. Ginny's the queen. She can be the king. She can be both. Ginny's the emperor of Quidditch. And nobody really needs Harry. <laughs> it turns out he is just a G- figurehead. Ginny wins in Order of the Phoenix. Ginny wins the Quidditch Cup with Ron at Keeper and Spare Parts. Yeah. Because everyone's been expelled. 
Uh, she that's like LeBron James taking the Cavaliers to the finals and beating the Golden State Warriors. Maybe not that much. Uh, I think that's a fair comparison. (laughs) I think it's funny that basically our only sports comparison is LeBron James and the Suns. Yeah, well. But. That sports malpractice as uh, has been pointed out. But it's just really gratifying to see Harry kind of knock down a peg in terms of how important he is to this Gryffindor Quidditch team. Because answer, not. But then, oh man, Alex, we get this kiss. It's a good moment. It's so satisfying. It is pure, like, YA, you've been longing for this romantic moment, release of all that romantic tension, like, string music swelling, foot (laughs) popping. It's a good kiss. Harry looked around. There was Ginny running toward him. She had a hard, blazing look in her face as she threw her arms around him. And without thinking, without planning it, without worrying about the fact that 50 people were watching, Harry kissed her. After several long moments, or it might have been half an hour, or possibly several sunlit days, they broke apart. The room had gone very quiet. Then several people wolf-whistled, and there was an outbreak of nervous giggling. Harry looked over the top of Ginny's head to see Dean Thomas holding a shattered glass in his hand, and Romilda Vane looking as though she might throw something. Hermione was beaming, but Harry's eyes sought Ron. At last he found him still clutching the cup and wearing an expression appropriate to having been clubbed over the head. For a fraction of a second they looked at each other. Then Ron gave a tiny jerk of the head that Harry understood to mean, Well, if you must. I was so excited. I forgot this happened, and I was so excited when so I read did this I. part. Yeah. I was just like, oh my god, they're smooching. I loved it. This is chemistry. Yeah, it is. You know, Ron and Hermione, that's not chemistry. This is fucking chemistry. I like when she's making fun of him getting hit with the bludger in practice. And yeah. he just thinks it's amazing. He thinks amazing. it's so funny. <laughs> he thinks it's so funny. Yeah, this is a very satisfying pairing, I think. Which is great, because this is the last good thing that is going to happen to Harry Potter, basically well into adulthood. Yeah, sort of for the rest of his life. Sort of ever. Yeah. (laughs) As we've learned from Cursed Child, it doesn't get much better. This is... (laughs) This is the best thing that is going to happen to Harry Potter in decades. He's got a new Patronus memory now. That's true. Does it, He literally does, right? I don't know. Oh, I think that's true. Oh, wow. I don't remember, though. Maybe you've just implanted that memory in my head. So, I, mean, I love could, this. This would qualify. I love this ship. I think they're a great couple. I think their affection for each other is really believable and genuine. I think she's sexy and he's famous and makes sense. Maybe he's sexy, too. I don't know. I don't think of him that way. She's formidable. Oh, she's incredible. She's super popular, which I like because she's popular because she's badass. (laughs) And also apparently very pretty. Yeah. But mostly cool as hell. And to Ron's credit, Ron does not freak out. Oh, yeah. To Ron's vast credit. He's a little weird about it, but he seems to have learned his lessons. Yeah. He's weird about it in a totally acceptable way. It would be weird, but he is... Like, you know what? I want you two to be happy. And if it has to be somebody, I'm glad it's somebody I trust. So, yeah, I think Ron is incredibly chill here. And I'm very proud of him. This is a, <laughs> I think this is a really great Ron moment. It's nice of him. He doesn't, like, get weird about it later, does he? He's sort of, like, don't push your luck. Like, he doesn't <laughs> He doesn't love them making... There's actually, in the... I read ahead a little. There's in the next chapter a really funny scene where he's like, don't snog in front of me. And I think Ginny compares him and Lavender to like writhing eels. <laughs> he's like, you're one to talk. It's a good line. She's funny. Yeah, she's good. Oh, she's great. When she, she's so bitchy to Hermione when she's like, don't pretend that you know or care about Quidditch. You'll only embarrass yourself when they get in their little tiff. Dude, not that many people own Hermione. I know. The fact that Ginny can own Hermione is great because Hermione is formidable as well. But pretty ownable, actually, because sometimes she says really silly things. That's true. But Harry and Ron don't often get the better of her. No, never. They're dumber than her. (laughs) That is true. Ginny's probably not as book smart, but definitely as or more clever 
Yeah. Anyway, who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Lavender Brown for finally dumping Ron. Good for you, girl. Mine is the Room of Requirement for turning into this awesome chasm of lost and hidden shit that reveals multiple massively important future to the plot items such <laughs> as the vanishing cabinet and Rowena Ravenclaw's uh diadem yeah nice little nice little foreshadowing there. oh yeah it, it's like described as like a rusty tiara a tarnished tiara it's so satisfying in Harry Potter, how these insignificant items take on incredible import later. I mean, I know that's like Rowling's party trick, but I she, always I always find it really fun. She drops breadcrumbs like a motherfucker. <laughs> it's great. No, I agree. Those it's are some tasty-ass crumbs, though. They are. I completely agree. No, when you see the vanishing cabinet and the tiara and you know their significance, you get to do that kind of giddy, like, oh my god. On a reread. Yeah. She wrote these books to re- be reread, and we've talked about that way in the past. That's also such massive self-confidence. Yeah. Which I love. She was like, people aren't going to just read these. People are going to read them over and over. I mean, that that's... We dunk on her sometimes, but that's skill. Oh, yeah. And confidence, mm-hmm. and which I massively respect. I mean, guys, we wouldn't be doing this if we... That's hated true. these We're fucking 75 books. Episodes we in. obviously love these books. Yeah. For all their flaws, I'm having a great time reading How this one. Was the room of requirement created? Was this on the building plan? Is this like a Godric Gryffindor, Salazar Slytherin, etc. specialty? Or did it just sort of like emerge? I like the idea that Hogwarts is sort of a living being and that Hogwarts kind of made it within itself what well, it feels like that because obviously it responds to like the kids needs or right. and or faculty it doesn't feel like something that could have been programmed yeah i mean it's possible well but... anything seems possible because she just keeps making shit up yeah which is I, what writing is i, I like... realize <laughs> i like the idea of hogwarts having this sentience i agree i think my headcanon is that this emerged in an early time of great need and it just sort of opened up and it Hogwarts kind of kept it safe ever since. Like there's just so much magic flying around within and within the walls that it Hogwarts takes on like unexpected forms. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it it's sort of an inversion of a great haunted house. Yes. You know? It's got its I mean, its it own, is a haunted house. It it's is, literally a haunted it house. It is a haunted house. But <laughs> but I mean, in a in a sort of delightful way rather than... I mean, okay, I just read The Haunting of Hill House a couple weeks ago, which, guys... It's something I will never do. Oh my god, it was so goddamn good. I loved it so much. Highly recommend, even if you're not into horror, which I'm not really. Shirley Jackson is a genius. But it's got a similar vibe, except it's horrifying. But it's this house sort of makes its own fun in this really (laughs) scary, awful way. But Hogwarts kind of makes its own fun and it's magical, literally. I think the Room of Requirement sprung forth from the head of Hogwarts. Not the head. It sprung forth from deep within the depths of the castle itself. Those walls could talk, man. Actually, the walls can. A lot of the walls can talk. A lot of the walls can talk. Yeah, she makes that joke early on. Like in the first book oh. about the walls talking. Because <laughs> she does not miss a beat with jokes like that. No. I also like that so many students have discovered the room of requirement because they've been like, holy shit, I need to hide this thing so fast. <laughs> I feel like the Weasleys themselves like half filled it up. There's like fanged frisbees whizzing around in there. Yeah, what's funny is you find a lot of people have found the room, clearly stashed their stuff. Never came back for it because they didn't really understand what the room of requirement is. They didn't know they could come back. Yeah, I really like that idea. And it seems like even Dumbledore isn't really totally clear on it. On how it works, yeah. He says it's foreshadowed in book one. Yeah, it is. Because he needs to find a chamber chamber pot. pot. And yeah, no, I, I love the room of requirement. Also, this particular iteration of the room of requirement 
plays such an incredible role in book seven. Right. Yeah, it's so satisfying on a reread to see this room and and think of that truly harrowing scene. It's a Marie Kondo nightmare, though. <laughs> that's true. I know we've true. made a lot of those jokes, but that's where the zeitgeist that's sort is of right where now. everybody's head is at. You know, that was the first thing I thought when it popped up in these chapters. I was thinking, man. She'd love it, though. She loves to clean up. That's true. She, her whole thing is she loves messes. Um, my unsung idiot is not even, no, he's a sung idiot because he's just an idiot, is Lucius Malfoy for just higgledy-piggledy dropping Tom Riddle's diary into Hogwarts, apparently just for the lols to see what happens. I guess it was sort of to frame Ginny and discredit Arthur so that they would, like, stop raiding his house, but seems like a really half-baked plan. Oh, yeah. Especially, this is a belonging of Lord Voldemort. (laughs) And... Very understandably, Voldemort is like, you weren't supposed to get rid of that, yeah, buddy. You, you had one job, Don't dude. sell my shit secondhand. <laughs> he didn't even sell it. He, he just, just put it in the cauldron. put it in her cauldron, I know. Yeah. In so many ways and at so many moments, Lucius Malfoy is a moron. Worst henchman ever. But you always have to have the dumb henchman. It's such a good trope. <laughs> it's like a Jasper and Horace character almost. I just, what was Lucius thinking? He's like, got this diary on the shelf. It's kind of spooky. If you write in it, this kid talks to you. And is he just thinking to himself, hmm. I bet he never, what? I bet he never opened it. Uh, that's probably true. He's just an uncurious person. Well, he knew that it was going to open the chamber. Oh, that's true. No, I think Lord Voldemort told him that. Right. But I don't think he ever, like, messed with it himself. Okay. Because otherwise he would have summoned the ghost of Tom Riddle back. Mm. And been like, oh, shit. Well, then that's on Voldemort for not giving him clearer fucking instructions. I think Voldemort, I actually agree with Voldemort that she should have been able to trust Lucius Malfoy not to randomly drop this into some girl's <laughs> school bag. What if Ginny had just been like, oh, I got no use for this. And and- thrown it away. <laughs> I know. Wild. Although I guess it still would have been a horcrux. So it's actually better what happened, even though it caused a lot of trauma for Ginny and Harry. Well, he destroyed it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's better for them what happened. That's true. Ultimately. <laughs> but, I mean, I understand Lord Voldemort's rage at this. This week's episode is brought to you by horcruxes. They are soul-splitting good. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. You can reach out to us many places. Email us at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. We're on social media at quibblerpodcast in various places. And next time, we will be reading the chapters called The Seer Overheard and The Cave which is such a good one. Thanks, amigos! He stood up slowly, shaking, and looked down at the wet floor. There were bloodstains floating like crimson flowers across its surface. Snape returned ten minutes later, turning at the door to say, in a voice of cold fury, Do not go in there! Woo! Dumbledore paused for a moment, marshalling his thoughts, and then said, I don't understand, sir, said Harry. I still don't understand, said Harry.